All right, if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And we're going to be talking this morning about the gospel that unites, the gospel that unites. Listen to the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what, had, what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that, had, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have, I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them into, to be his guests. The next day, he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted, up, lifted him up, saying, stand, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in found many persons gathered. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came. Without objection, I asked then why you have sent for me. Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. 
So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country for the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the living God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we've read this story, I pray that even as it is read, Lord, even as it was read, that your people, as they listened, heard your word spoken to them, Lord. And now, as your servant proclaims the good news before your people, I pray that all of us, as we sit under the authority of your word, that we would be transformed and changed by your word to be the people you are calling us to be, to be the community, the church you are calling us to be. Father, I pray, even now, that as your word goes forth, you would bless us in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Have you ever had someone separate themselves from you because of your ethnicity, the color of your skin, your language, your family heritage, the part of the city you hail from, or the people you hang out with? When I was in high school, I often experienced and felt the dissonance of not being considered for membership in certain groups or cliques, as they have been called by some. Perhaps you experienced the same thing at some point in your life journey, or maybe you were on the other side of that scenario, always invited into the crowd. I would love to say that our ethnic divisions often feel like the stuff of high school, except that the cost of our ethnic divisions are far too costly, far too substantial, far too weighty. The pain unleashed from our divisions is massive, and it can be seen in the recent reflections on the massacres of African-American communities in our country's history, like that in Tulsa. The intentional separating of ourselves from one another, or more 
the more apathetic approach to each other where we simply ignore or dismiss each other's concern has left us with churches that in many places look nothing like the church that Jesus is said to have died for in Revelation 5. And as a result, our testimony as a church is weakened in a world that desperately needs to see the new humanity spoken of by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, the humanity where divided peoples are made one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my heart's passion as a pastor is to see the church of Christ, which he purchased with his own blood, become this kind of community, to see us here at New City grow more and more into this expression locally here in Southeast Grand Rapids. And the question, though, is how do we get there? I want to suggest this morning that the answer is rooted in the gospel we proclaim in every place where God has set us as his church. I want to read a passage from Galatians that will help define what I mean and assist in understanding this story in Acts about the Apostle Peter's own transformation in the preaching of the gospel. In Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul, Peter's colleague in the, go- in the preaching of the gospel, he wrote this, On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Now notice that while both Peter and Paul were called to different crowds, the gospel they preached was the same gospel. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that gospel is a gospel that calls for the uniting of divided people groups. Indeed, in that very passage... In Galatians 2, Paul confronts the apostle Peter for not walking in line with the gospel. Peter, who had been hanging out with the Gentiles, had separated himself from fellowship with the Gentiles when his Jewish friends showed up from Jerusalem. And Paul withstood him publicly for his hypocrisy, noting that Peter's actions had led to others following him in his gospel sidestep. And we still have a lot of gospel sidestepping in the church today. We still have lots of folk putting other allegiances in front of the gospel imperative of ethnic unity. But I want to suggest that in this story in Acts 10, God was working in the life of the apostle Peter to teach him that the gospel, the good news of God's salvation come in Jesus Christ, demands that God's people work for ethnic unity in the church. It demands that they proclaim Christ not as king um, of and for their people alone, but the king of and for all the nations of the earth. And it demands, as I will try and show, it demands, as I will try and show from this text, that the church actually evaluate itself to determine if there are in fact other allegiances that are in the way of the gospel that creates this ethnic unity that God calls us to in the church. So how does God work 
to transform Peter's understanding so that he would be an ambassador of this gospel? And what does this say to us who are called to preach this gospel today? I want to start by telling you this, that God accepts the unaccepted. God accepts the unaccepted. I want you to notice that in, these, in the first part of this story, in verses 1 through 8, particularly verses 3 through 8, I want, you, I want you to notice that God's visit to Cornelius happens apart from Cornelius's interaction with the, the apostle Peter. While Cornelius is told to send for Peter, God's visit to Cornelius through his angel happens apart from the apostle Peter. In other words, I want you to notice that God's acceptance of Cornelius is not connected to or rooted in Peter's acceptance of Cornelius. God accepts Cornelius on the basis of his own grace, his own mercy, his own love. Listen to me this morning. God does not care if we like other people's culture, skin tone, language, country of origin, socioeconomic class, family of origin, music, hairstyle, or the like. God accepts people and has determined to make them a part of his own family of the ba- on the basis of his own counsel and not our counsel. When it comes to adding people to his family from among the peoples of the earth, God does not take counsel with us. He is not asking us if we want them in the family. It is his family bought and purchased by the blood of his son, and he ain't taking our biased request for membership. And for Cornelius to hear this directly from God had to have set his own heart at ease and to rejoicing. To know that God accepted him not because the Jews said so, but because God himself said so, had to matter greatly to Cornelius and to all who would hear the same message. Because remember, Cornelius calls all of his family members and his close friends to hear the message of the gospel that Peter is about to preach. And part of that message is that God accepts people that we don't accept. (laughs) I want all of you to hear this morning that your acceptance through faith in Christ is rooted in God himself, that is rooted in God's grace and mercy and love for you, that you matter, you matter, and you belong in this family because God said so. And nobody can take that away from you. But this word, this word, this word that God accepts the unaccepted also speaks to those in God's church who work either actively or passively to exclude others. To those of us who judge membership in God's family based on our own biased judgments, this truth comes as a loving rebuke from God and a reminder to us that our acceptance of others has to be based on the same basis as God's acceptance. It has to be based on the truth that our acceptance comes in the same way everyone else's does, by grace, through faith in Jesus. And as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, in one sense, we are special. We are special. We are special because through faith in Christ, we are his treasured possession. But in another sense, you are not special because that treasured status is not yours alone. It belongs to people from every tribe, language, 
nation, and people. Can I just tell you this morning that God loves pipe organs, but he loves drums too. Can I just tell you this morning, can I just encourage you, can I just encourage you not to get it twisted that there will be some rhythm and blues and hip-hop inspired worship in eternity. (laughs) Can I just tell you this morning that God accepts the unaccepted on the basis of his own grace, his own mercy, and his own love. And if we're preaching the gospel rightly, we are preaching a gospel that says that God is the God who accepts the unaccepted. And that truth, that God's acceptance is rooted in his own counsel and not our own, should encourage us to make space for those who are not like us in our worship and in our life as a church. Should encourage us to look for ways to include in our worship, to include in our life, those whom God is calling to himself from among the nations who may already be a part of this church and those in the community around us whom God may call to himself from among our neighbors in the vicinity of this church as well as those in our larger community. That God receives Cornelius' alms, his gifts to the poor as a memorial, that he accepts them, points to God's delight in receiving things from his people given in praise to him. And we know from other places in the scripture that our praise, our songs, our instruments, our physical gestures, like clapping our hands and lifting our hands, as well as our ministry labors done in Christ, that they are received by our God. And so receiving those things in our worship and life that come from the diverse cultures among and around us demonstrates that we actually understand that God's acceptance of us is rooted in his grace and his mercy and his love, not because our culture is more acceptable to him than someone else's. Peter would learn this along with the other apostles and believers in his day. It appears we need to relearn it in our own day. We need to put this principle into practice in the way we do worship, in choosing leaders for the care of the church, in the way we do outreach and evangelism, and in every other area of the life of the church. In order to do this, we must be humble and continuing to evaluate our structures to see if this acceptance is actually being practiced by us. And in those places where it's not, we would do well to ask our Lord to empower us by our spirit to change those things that need to be changed so that we might be this kind of community for our city. Amen, people of God. So God accepts the unaccepted. We see that in this passage when God comes to Cornelius through his angel and tells him that he has received his alms and has received him. But God not only accepts the unaccepted, God also reverses our distorted vision. God reverses our distorted vision. How does he help us proclaim this gospel that unites? He does so by reversing our distorted vision. I want to suggest to you this morning that many among those who were called out to be God's light to the nations, many among those chosen, as Exodus 19 says, to be his treasured possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, I want to suggest to you this morning that they had turned that calling into an exclusive status over against the very people they were called out to proclaim the salvation of God to. And this, in fact, formed into a prejudice against the nations that God actually never intended, a prejudice that even affected how many read the scriptures 
teachings about God's intentions and his purposes for the world. And because of this, or in this, part of what God does in the gospel of the kingdom is to reverse our distorted vision of his purposes. In other words, God has to reverse or he has to deconstruct our distorted reading of the scriptures and our application of it to fit his actual purposes to build a church that is united across all of these lines of division. I can hear you saying in your heart, pastor, where are you getting that from? (laughs) In the text. Well, the vision that God gives to Peter involves a command to Peter uh, to eat foods that were forbidden in the law of God for Hebrew people of the time to eat. Peter, on all three occasions, refuses to eat this unclean meat, to which the Lord then replies, what God has made clean, do not call common. It seems clear from Peter's own words in verse 28 that the Jews had applied those laws about what you couldn't eat to those whom you couldn't eat with. That is, those whom you couldn't fellowship with. But this prejudiced fellowship was never meant to be practiced by the people of God. Indeed, this practice of prejudiced fellowship was more a description of the nations to whom Israel was called to preach the message of God's salvation. Do you remember what happens in Exodus uh, when Joseph's brothers are invited to dine with Joseph, whom they have yet to discover is in fact their brother? In Exodus, uh, we read this. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Why? Because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. That this kind of prejudiced fellowship was not going to be a part of God's community is illustrated in the practice of the Passover in the Old Testament narrative. Again, listen to these words in Exodus 12, Verse 48, speaking of the Passover that was given to the people of Israel, says this, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. Let me read that again. When the Passover was given to the people of Israel, This is what the Lord God said to them about how they were to practice the Passover. If a stranger, that is somebody who is not a Jew, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. Then he shall be as a native of the land. You are to treat him as if he were, in fact, from among your own people. You see, God was always pointing toward a fellowship that was different than that practiced by the nations, a fellowship that actually included people across ethnic lines. So what's my point? In order for Peter to preach the gospel rightly, his own distorted vision and the distorted vision of his people had to be reversed 
to understand that in the gospel, God is after the creation of an ethnic unity, and that now our understanding and interpretation of his word, of his purposes in this world, have to be interpreted in light of that truth. And I want to suggest to you this morning that it is our failure to do that that hinders our own growth and our witness as a church. Everybody keeps talking about how they want to see revival, how they want to see, you know, God show up and, 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 and save people from, uh, from our cities and from our, uh, from our countries and from our rural areas. How many of you all want to see God's salvation spread across this land, right? You do. Can I tell you the kind of revival that God is actually looking to bring? The kind of revival where his church becomes the kind of community that he had always proclaimed that it would be a people from among all the nations of the earth who are learning how to worship him together and serve him together and love him together. And what I really want to do for us, New City, is to help us to check the lenses through which we read our Bibles and to say that if this ethnic unity doesn't exist as one of the shades of color through which we read the Bible, we will miss out on the rich instruction of the scriptures that are provided to us of how to heal the divisions in our church and the community around us. The call here is to be willing to have our distorted vision reversed. It is actually to be humble enough to listen when our God speaks and shows us those things that are off about our understanding of his purposes. For the apostles, some of this came through direct speech from God to them in visions and dreams. For us, it comes as we submit our own thoughts and our own perspective to the scriptures humbly allowing our brothers and sisters to correct us when our understanding or application is off. Remember, Paul would later do this with Peter, as we saw in Galatians, and we are still called to, to do this with each other. We're called, of course, to do it in humility and love, but we're called to do it. And this is why cross-cultural community is so important in the church. We can't see what we can't see. And brothers and sisters from other cultures through patient endurance with the scriptures in their own ethnic communities can help us see things that we cannot see, which means we have to be open to listening and receiving the testimony of our brothers and sisters from among the tribes, languages, peoples, nations that Christ has purchased for himself with his own blood. God had to come and say to Peter, you're not looking at this right. What I have cleaned, do not call common. Peter, understand how to read your scriptures better because you're misapplying what I said in the past. And so I need to give you new lenses so that you can see better. How does God help us preach this gospel that unites all? He helps us by teaching us that he is the God who accepts the unaccepted. He does it by reversing our distorted vision, but he also does it by uniting us in our core purpose. The God who accepts the unaccepted, who reverses our distorted vision, also unites us in our core purpose. Note in the text what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles in this story. While Peter was still saying these things, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed 
because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For, when, for, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. What I want you to notice is not just the gift of the Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles, but what happens when it is poured out on them. When the Spirit is poured out on them, the Gentiles are heard speaking in tongues and extolling the excellencies of God. Now wait, I'm not going Pentecostal on you this morning in terms of theology, but I am going Pentecostal on you in terms of what happened on the day of Pentecost. Remember what happened there. Listen again to what happened in Acts 2. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Here's what I'm saying. The same thing happened to those Jewish believers who lived among the nations. The same thing that happened then now happens to those who ethnically were from those nations. And the same calling to extol the name of God is now given to them as well. The Gentiles, who were always in God's view, in the story of redemption, and acted in that story as an indication of that truth, are now invited fully into that story as equal and full actors. It's no longer just ethnic Israel that are the storytellers of God's mighty acts of salvation. It is all ethnicities redeemed through faith in Jesus and united together in the family of God who now share in this calling. It is all these communities now within their ethnic distinctiveness that are called to this calling to declare the mighty acts of God's salvation in this world. It is the Gentiles as Gentiles in all that cultural diversity who are now part of this telling of the story of God's mighty acts in Christ. That meant in the apostles' day that Mesopotamians and Libyans and Cyrenians did did not have to become Jews before they could declare the mighty acts of God. And it means that in our day, the ethnicities don't have to assimilate into another's culture's way of doing things to tell the story. Instead, we are meant to learn from one another so that we might share the story together, share it in a way that brings to light all the beauty of God's diversity in his human community. Amen, people of God. And this truth, this truth calls us to evaluate the lenses through which we read and tell the story of the Bible. It means asking a question of ourselves. Are we allowing or better yet, asking the cultures whom God has brought to our church or who he is calling to himself from among our neighbors who are not like us to actually help us 
and our understanding of the Scriptures and our telling of the story of the Scriptures. Can I ask another question? Who are we reading that is helping us understand the Scriptures better? Who are we in relationship with that is not from our tribe that we are listening to when they speak about the Lord? If all our influences in understanding the Scripture are from our own tribe, then no wonder our reading of the Bible often misses the core concerns of other people groups. No wonder we can't understand the plight of, African, of our African-American neighbors, how the Scriptures speak to that plight. No wonder we can't understand the plight of our Latino and Latina neighbors and our African neighbors when we are, aren't listening, when we aren't listening to people from other cultures as they encounter God. Our own understanding of the Scriptures is robbed of the richness that God intends for us to have. And by the way, this does not require that we throw away our own theological convictions. It does mean being open to God speaking to us in ways that we have not expected Him to speak. Peter's own understanding needed adjusting, and God adjusted it through His encounter with the faith of Cornelius. And God will no doubt adjust ours as well as we come into contact with brothers and sisters from cultures not our own and find that God has accepted them in his son. What I'm suggesting to you this morning is that you can't understand the Bible well and what God intends without your brothers and sisters from other cultures. You can't understand it. You can't apply it to your life even, the way God intends you to, without relationship and connection with people from among the nations of the earth. The Jews were surprised to see the Holy Spirit fall on these Gentiles who had come to hear the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And it is, isn't it amazing the way God acts? He not only gives them the same spirit, but he gives them the same calling to extol the goodness and the glory of God. Amen, people of God. I want to say it again. The preaching of the gospel when done rightly, <laughs> the preaching of the gospel when done rightly, I'm going to say it again. The preaching of the gospel when done rightly brings about ethnic unity. The preaching of the gospel, when done rightly, brings about ethnic unity. The preaching of the gospel, when done rightly, brings about ethnic unity. See, people always want to come and talk to me about preaching the gospel. They always want to come and talk to me. What people need is they need the gospel. They need, they need the gospel to be preached. And I say, yeah, you're preaching it, but, but, but it's not the gospel that actually tells them that in Christ, Jesus died, shed his blood, not just for you and yours, but shed his blood for people from among all the nations of the earth. So if you're preaching the gospel right, those folk around you who don't look like you, should be attracted to that gospel. And if they're not, you should ask yourself, am I really preaching the gospel? Because if I was really preaching the gospel, those who are from among the nations of the earth would hear it. 
and respond. And so the preaching of the gospel, when done rightly, brings about ethnic unity. And it calls us to work through those things that create division from one another, to set aside those allegiances that get in the way of, the, of that practice of this unity. And God empowers us toward this by accepting the unaccepted, reversing our own distorted vision of his purposes, and uniting us in our core purpose of making his name known in this world. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we should receive this work of God among us and seek to walk in it in every area of our life and ministry. Indeed, may we receive Christ leading us in this for his glory, for the glory of God, for the growth of his church, that the nations of the earth might be brought to the knowledge of our Savior. You know what Southeast Grand Rapids needs? It needs lots of churches that are preaching the gospel that calls for ethnic unity. If we were doing that, not only would Southeast Grand Rapids be different, not only would Grand Rapids be different, but Michigan would be different, and Missouri would be different, and Tennessee would be different, Mississippi would be different, and Louisiana where my mom was from, would be different. <laughs> All these places would be different if we were preaching this gospel. And so may God in Christ give us the courage to preach it for his glory and for his honor. In Jesus' name, amen.